welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. Never have I been proven more right than than I am in this cigar we're about to smoke. Okay. Two weeks ago, who was saying every box of cigars should have a date on them, Mm -hmm. should tell you the year that they're rolled? So we're going to be, my wife got us the La Polina Goldie. I made the cry out that I wanted to smoke one, and she found us some and got me a box of them um, for our anniversary. And I'll thank you, dear. And so La Polina Maria Sierra always rolled the La Polina Goldie. And then she retired last year. And And now it's rolled by Lopez Chino Perez. So... Do I have a, a Sierra or do I have a Perez? If they put dates on the boxes, yeah. I would know this information. It's true. Now, am I the only one that cares? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Give me I, your cigar back. Go to the I, humidor and get something else. You're no longer <laughs> worthy. <laughs> you, you, you no, are now, I, you're now degraded. No, no, you know that that's not true. I actually <laughs> agree with you that, that dates that they should put the vintage. And I was talking about this with somebody else recently as well. Uh, it would be great information to have. If nothing else, it would just make storing to age boxes that much easier because then you wouldn't have to fiddle with it. You'd know how old it was. Um, but I also think that they should put the region and the seed and the thing, like all of that information as well, which I know that you take exception to. So, well, there, you can get too much information, but I would just like it. I would just, I would like don't to read know. It. Am I okay? Am I smoking one that Maria Sierra rolled because my wife bought these online, or am I smoking one that Lopez Chino Perez rolled? I just, it would be, it would be nice to know that I was smoking one of the last Sierras. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but we're smoking the Goldie. So the Goldie is only rolled in the Titan of Bronze factory. Um, as we mentioned, it used to be a, it's only rolled by one roller at a time, and all. So Sierra announced her retirement, and Lopez Chino Perez was the next exclusive Goldie Torridor. So he his resume he worked for 25 years at Real Fabrica de Tobacco Partagas, went to the United States in 2014, and trained for three years to be able to roll this cigar that we're about to smoke. That's pretty impressive. It's, three, it's nice three to have years a of, history. Yeah, three years of training on something just to be the exclusive, the, the, the one person who's allowed to roll that cigar. Well, not only that, to come, you got to think about the, the amount of pride you have to swallow. Hey, I've been rolling cigars for 25 years, and now I'm going to apprentice under this other roller. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's, a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. I mean, I can see there being some difficulty in just being able to jump right on that. Yeah, no, and, I totally get that. You, you definitely don't expect to have that kind to have to go back to square one when you've got that much experience under your belt already. I got my. I didn't cut quite enough off my cigar. This is always the worst thing when you don't cut quite enough mm. off on the first lick. But you can always cut more off. You can't add it back on. That is very true. Plus, it has that kind of a pseudo pigtail, which typically is is an indication of where to cut on a cigar. I don't know if we've ever touched on that before or not. Yeah, but this one doesn't really have a cap. Yeah. It's just kind of twisted on the end. So I'm going to be interested. The cold draw, it's kind of unique. I don't know that I've had a, a flavor like that. Yeah, it's very earthy. Yeah, very earthy, kind of just a unique cold draw. So I'm mm-hmm. interested to light it up and really talk about it. Why don't you talk about Nicaragua? All right, so we talked last week about Hurricane Etta that had just come through Nicaragua, and it looks like now um, they're staring down the barrel of Hurricane Iota. So it's just going to be a really tough year for them. Um, But that being said, um, so just kind of wanted to follow up on something we talked about last week about the growing season and what they're dealing with in Nicaragua. At this point... Um, there are about 3,800 hectares of land dedicated to co- tobacco cultivation, and only about 175 of those have been planted. So we, that just to kind of put a bow on how just how early in the 
planting season we are, it basically hadn't even started yet. Yeah, but I mean, 175, that's a hobby farm. Right. That's not really um, anything to be spoken of. So, uh, you know, Hurricane Iota is coming in. But again, we talked about it last week. Tobacco's not grown in a coastal area. Right. It's the chances of a hurricane getting inland far enough to damage the tobacco crop, pretty slim. Well, but the the amount of wind and stuff... I, now, if it were later in the season where the plants were sizable enough that the the extreme winds could bend them, break them, that sort of thing, that would, that would still be a cause for concern, especially since the last I saw, it's entirely possible that this is going to make landfall at a Category 5, which is the largest classification they have for hurricanes. Now, it's going to reduce very, very dramatically before it even gets across Nicaragua. They're expecting it to reduce down to a Category 1. So, but, I mean, Category 5, I mean, that's Hurricane Andrew. That's Katrina. That's, that's, re- that's the real deal. Yeah, you live in the tropics. You're going to get hurricanes. <laughs> I mean, it's just part of life. And all. I, you know, if I, lived in, if I lived on a golf course, I wouldn't complain when golf balls hit my house. If I lived in the tropics, I wouldn't complain when hurricanes come No one's come complaining, through. but it's still something well, you have to prepare everybody, for. Everybody writes these articles like it's this great tragedy that come out of nowhere, like it's a meteor hurtling toward the tobacco fields. It's a hurricane. You live there. You're going to get them. It's part of the deal. <laughs> well, it is, but these are also coming so late, and I think that's what makes, at least in this case, it's so. it's what makes it so interesting. And noteworthy is the fact that the hurricane season is basically over, or at least it typically is you by this time of year. You to Well, but, <laughs> but that's the she thing. didn't get the memo. And that's why, so, yes, tobacco and other crops are grown in these regions. Yes, they're susceptible to hurricanes, but it usually doesn't affect because of the way the, the seasons roll. But this is, this is noteworthy in, in the fact that we are getting hurricanes later into the year than, than usual. And so it's actually overlapping, overlapping with the planting season. Now, minimally so, as we've talked about. But I, I can see why that makes this noteworthy. Oh, it's, it's noteworthy. But it, like to me, the, the hurricane part of it's less interesting than just kind of figuring out when they're planting the crops and all that. And, okay, if it wiped out the entire crop, there's still tobacco that's been aging. I think we could catch up. And I'll, I, don't, I don't think this is going to damage our cigars for next year. If it did, but I don't, like I said, it's such a small, small portion of it. I think we would see it in about two or three years. We'd see the impact for it. Because think about how much tobacco that is that comes out. If the entire crop of Nicaraguan tobacco got wiped out for an entire growing season, you don't think that would have an impact that could be felt? You know, companies like Padron, for example, that have very strict rules on their their aging process and get it, they're not going to be able to get the the following season's stuff to market earlier because then it wouldn't be up to their standards. So there's still going to be a hole. You know, my great granddaddy ran moonshine. Ran moonshine down in Hardin County, Tennessee. Do you know why my great granddaddy ran moonshine? Because he could get more money for corn by the gallon than he could by the bushel. Right. And he had 15 kids. So if the tobacco crop this year got totally wiped out and they needed to play catch-up, people that are planting other things in Nicaragua would plant tobacco, and it would all come back around. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty basic economic. But you're talking about time versus resources. This isn't a resource issue. It's a time. That's an entire year of crop gone. And just planting more the following year doesn't fill in that hole when you're talking about a product that takes time to age, time to plant, time to cultivate, time to ferment, time is money. And if you lose an entire year's crop, yes, you can you can minimize the impact. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they'd all be screwed, but it would still, regardless of how much everybody bootstrapped it and came together and rah, 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 it, it, they would still feel an impact. Well, I guess, and I guess I'm... I'm probably not in a good headspace for this conversation today because I'm so sick of all the panicking people that every time I turn on the TV or every time I turn around, somebody's panicking. Let me tell you something, folks. 
If you've got a problem, you've got a problem. If you've got two problems, more often than not, the other problem is the solution to the first one. That's just the Don't way life works. Don't know if I works. agree with that, but okay. <laughs> In my life, it has always worked that way. If one of your problems is from ignoring the first problem, then yes. But, uh, and I'm, I'm dealing with that at home right now. Well, so. there's all about problems and opportunities. And the difference in success and failure is, do you view, do you say, oh, these are problems, or do you say, oh, these are opportunities? And I think if the tobacco crop got wiped out, it'd be a great opportunity. There'd be some new technology put into place. They'd be trying some different stuff. I'm not encouraging it, but I'm just saying, I don't think all the, the fact that people panic so freely is really disturbing to but me. But I don't think this is necessarily panic, but, you know, I, but I do get your point, um... I'm dealing with this with my daughter right now. She's having some trouble in school that we've been working with her and trying to, and she's just still not getting it. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that she knows that she's not doing well. So as soon as she gets to something that she doesn't understand, rather than ask for help, step back, reset, you know, the things that you and I have learned throughout our time on this earth she hasn't learned those lessons yet she just panics and then she tries to ignore it which makes it worse you know right. and so and so we're we're actually going through so it's and i keep telling her over and over these are lessons that you will use for the rest of your life this is more than just y equals 0.25 x this is about learning how to deal with an adverse situation using your problem-solving abilities to overcome whatever obstacles in front of you. And those are the things that, that we're trying to learn right now. And I wish more of our life was focused on that as opposed to every time you turn on the TV, somebody's crying and whining about the end. You know, I have participated in none of the 2020 sucks stuff on social media. Oh, this year's so bad, this year's so bad. Folks, let me tell you something. Never say you're having a bad year. I said that one year, and that time the next year, I was looking back on the, on the bad year as times of high, highfalutin energy. And I'll, don't say you're having a bad year. Just adjust to whatever comes through. Just toughen up. Suck it up, buttercup. No, I, I just want to point out that I'm going to distance myself from that comment that was in no way reflective of the views of the cigar cast as a whole. Well, it's it, it's reflective of the views of the cigar cast as a half, because <laughs> I'm sitting on this half of the table, <laughs> and also okay, the Goldie. You know, it's rare that I come across something really unique in the cigar world to this, me anymore. This truly is. That this is a unique cigar. This has. Um, I don't know that I can compare it to. You know, if I was in the humidor, and somebody said, "So what in here tastes like the La Palina Goldie?" I don't think I could point them to... I definitely couldn't point them to another La Polina product, though granted I haven't had them all. But I couldn't point them to another La Polina product. I might could get them... Uh, you think Aroma de Cuba, San Cristobal, you kind of get in that vein. You could get a little closer. Yeah, I think you could get closer, but I still think you're more... I think this is more J.C. Newman territory from the flavors I'm getting out of it. But... Those are one-note chords compared to this, which is incredibly complex so far. Oh, it's just a symphony, and I've done the, I've done the retro hell on it. The retro hell is wonderful. The cigar as a whole, just the the draw is just a touch tight. See, and I, it's perfect for me. But I and and I think that's some of the Cuban style. Could be to keep you from burning it too fast, not to appreciate the flavors. I do think sometimes with my padrones, because the draw is so light. I will burn them a little hot and maybe lose some of the nuance. So I can understand the the flavors being done like this. But speaking of aging cigars quickly, let's talk about Candela. This from Aficionado. Okay. Ten things you need to know about Candela or green cigars. And also, occasionally I do it just to aggravate Trey, folks. You know, the thing <laughs> is, I don't hate Candela cigars. I don't think they shouldn't exist. I just personally don't care for them. What don't you care for in the Candela? I'm just They curious. taste like grass. Just the chlorophyll. The yeah. chlorophyll. So to, just to give a quick primer on Candela. So once Candela's, and I didn't know this, that um, many years they were the most popular type of cigar sold in America. 
and all. And I had no idea that that was that they had ever been that popular. And all. And then in the 1980s, they began to fade from popularity. That so That's much so that they recent. They used to call them American style. Yeah. I mean, they used to call them American-style cigars, so that's really an interesting thought. Well, and that kind of makes sense when you think about the fact that one of the hallmarks of, of Candela is the fact that you can grow leaves destined for Candela pretty much anywhere. You know, the issue we have with Tennessee and, you know, American tobacco by and large is the fact that it doesn't lend itself to cigars really all that well. We don't have the ability to cure it properly. Uh, you know, because it's it's the it's the island and Central America uh, process of open air f- drying and curing that we can't don't have the right climate for here. That that is why we have such a different flavor in our cigars. Candela is an entirely different process altogether, so it allows it to. Yeah, um, if you think of cigars as an organic product, Candela is definitely high GMO. <laughs> Candela, you know, you heat the barn so that it doesn't dry out, so that you trap the chlorophyll into the cigar very quickly, is how you create the Candela wrapper. And uh, and you're going to, it's, they're talking about 90 to 100 and then as high as 165. I'd say most of the time they're running closer to the top than they are to the bottom of that number. And uh, and then they rehydrate it to make the leaf palatable again, but by then the, the Candela has been trapped in there. Right. And uh, um, it's interesting because it said once it's made, it needs to be cold, needs to stay in the cool. You know, and I've always heard that, but I did. I, I still don't know that I understand why, unless it's just the same reason that you keep vegetables in the in the crisper drawer of the fridge. If it's just a matter of the fact that that chlorophyll, being an organic product that is kind of locked in there, has a volatility to it, and has has an ability to to go off if it's not properly cared for. And I'm just not that big a fan of Candela either, and all. But I, this was just an interesting article, and as this Candela actually made Ernest Perez Carrillo sick. One of the few cigars. Have you ever had a cigar make you sick? Mm-hmm. Have you ever smoked that cigar again after that? Yes. See, I don't. And all, I've had one cigar make me what I would say sick, and I've never, and I will never smoke another Gurkha Ninja. So I think it kind of depends. So the first cigar that ever made me sick was an Ashton VSG. And it was just, I just wasn't quite ready for it yet. But I was also driving down a windy, windy road when I was smoking it. So I, I, I don't think that was the cigar's fault. So yes, I have had one of those since then. The other one is the Digger. And I haven't had another one of them since then. That's a lot of tobacco. Let me tell you, if you're going to smoke the LFD Digger... That's that's a lot of tobacco. Whether you smoke the Maduro or the Connecticut, you're still. Um, I didn't know. I thought it was just the Double Ajero. Oh no, they've got it in the Connecticut. I mean, it's the Double Ajero, but they have the Maduro Double Ajero and they have the more Connecticut Double Ajero. Oh, I didn't know they made a Connecticut. Yeah, I can take you in there and show you. Oh. And I'll because so, the, if I'm going to smoke it, rarely will I smoke the Maduro Double Ajero Digger because that's just. Um, I need I need three hours. Well, so that was the thing. I smoked it for three hours, still had about a robusto left, and had eaten a big burrito like full of meat and rice, like a real proper burrito, right before I smoked it. So full stomach, you know, took it nice and slow. It still just turned me woozy. It's amazing. It's it's amazing how that. And I, there's a guy in here comes in here every day and smokes two of them. Yeah. I mean, he'll sit down here, and that's the only cigar he gets, and he'll smoke two of them back-to-back, and I have no idea how he... I guess if you just build up a tolerance to it. But how much can you be enjoying it if you've had to... If you're building up a tolerance to that volume of tobacco, how much can you really be enjoying it? I don't know. I mean, I I don't think it was necessarily an, an active decision to start building up that kind of tolerance. I think more likely would have happened, he was... Smoking the double Ajero, and he would smoke back-to-back. And he went, well, I can just have a digger instead. And he says, ah, I still want a little bit more. So he goes, you know, and just sort of slowly builds from there. Like most things, it's, it's, boiling, yeah. it's boiling the frog in most instances. <coughs> and uh, well, won't we step away for a break real quick? We come back, I want to talk about how to smoke a cigar, 
I want to talk about Black Friday deals. I want to talk about all that good stuff. So we'll be back. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8. This week, I want to talk about the E.P. Carrillo Inch. I remember when this cigar came out. It came out to a lot of fanfare. It did. It's a Dominican cigar. It's got an Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper. Um, and it's a, it's a big cigar. It's a big ring-gauge cigar is what initially attracted me to it. Yeah, they, they all come in 60s. Yeah, but it's just a good cigar. It just got a good flavor to it. They really they blended to the large size well they in did. this cigar. And I think that shows, you know, we talk about oftentimes how the blend is usually made for the Robusto and then just kind of scaled up or down as necessary. This was E.P. Creo attacking that 60 ring gauge cigar with purpose and saying, no, I want something that's going to deliver at that ring gauge. And I, to my knowledge, he's, he's one of the only people who's ever done that. And I think sometimes people are turned off by this cigar because they do think it's a gimmick cigar, but don't let it pass you by. Try an E.P. Carrillo Inch. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who created adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters, Mr. Trey Dedner. Well, someone's got to fight the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> well, it seemed to me that it would kind of flow together. You uh-huh. know, there, there actually was a comic book called Adolescent Radioactive Black Belt Hamsters. That's pretty <laughs> great. All. So not, not quite as popular as the Turtles for some reason. I don't know why that never took off. Do you remember, this would have been early internet, mid-90s, a website called Hamster Dance? No. It was one of the first viral websites. Like oh. it just it perva- it was so pervasive and all it was was just a looping animated gif with audio and it was just a bunch of hamsters dancing and walking and and do- in various gyrations. So next time I say all the music from the 90s sucked, remember Hamster Dance cuz well, the internet wasn't. wasn't doing much better. <laughs> And uh, well, Mickey Mouse turns ninety four today. Today, today, huh. and all uh, this is we're, as we're recording this. It's Mickey Mouse's not. And can I confess something? I never found Mickey Mouse funny. Was Mickey Mouse supposed to be funny? Well, it's a cartoon. It's for children. What well, is it supposed to be? Shouldn't funny, there be though. some comedy? Yeah, I mean, if there's you, some if, slapstick involved. If you speak in Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny in the same terms. They're worlds apart. Bugs Bunny was hilarious. True. Bugs Bunny was absolutely masterful. Looney Tunes in general was just a work of art. I just never got Mickey Mouse. I never got I never got why one dog talks, one dog doesn't. I never get the dog hierarchy between Goofy and Pluto. I never understood the um, the appeal. I don't know. I, is it is it all Disney propaganda? How does it work? I have. I, I'm not the person to answer that. I can tell you that. And, uh, do you watch any anima- animation at all? Very little, if any. You don't strike me as animation type. You strike no. me as it, it, it would be too much joy for your life. You really need something that kind of drags you down into the gutter and kicks you a couple of times. Maybe <laughs> some British cure for insomnia on PBS. I just feel like I don't feel like animation's right up your alley. No, I it, it's not. I'm not a huge animation fan. My brother is, uh, and and I wonder how much of it is just. You know, the era in which we grew up, if there was just more available to him that he latched onto it. But I guess if you did, then maybe it's not. Well, but I grew up in an era of great animation. True. I guess I, 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 it could just be that I so, hit a doldrum. The line, this has nothing to do with cigars, but I'm to talk about it anyway. For me, the golden age of animation ended with Cartoon Network. Mm. When Cartoon Network was introduced, it ruined animation. Because and you probably don't even remember a time about Cartoon Network, do you? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you were old enough to remember pre-Cartoon I was, I Network. Was, yeah, I was pre-cable. So Cartoon Network degraded the quality of animation by leaps and leaps and bounds. They're, they're because stuff- it, it became the Walmart proposition. Right. You had to fill the shelves with something, right? And so quality no longer matters. It's all about quantity. And it was the same thing that happened. You know, they recycled old Hanna-Barbera cartoons 
for a large amount of what they were doing, but then all of their original content just became about, yeah, let's just get something else out there. Let's get something yeah, else just out there. Sling it across, sling it again. And, and there's been a generation of kids raised now that never got to enjoy quality cartoons. You know that the but you know there's a reason that to this day Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes is still played on Boomerang. True. Did you have you seen that they've started redoing? Bugs Bunny cartoons again. Yeah, it sucks. It's awful. It, they they lost they lost the they lost the I don't care attitude that, of the era when Mel Blanc made those. Right. And uh, they're trying, you know, as if most things, they're trying not to make anybody mad and offend nobody. And that's just the death of the death of any product. If all you worry about in your product is making somebody mad, you're not got a product. You're just creating, you know. You're you're saying I'm not going to make Candela cigars because Trey doesn't like them. Right. It really doesn't make sense. So okay, since we're now to get back to cigars, let's talk about the basic. Well, hang on a second. You meant you brought Candela. I want to circle back to that for a second, um, just because I just thought about something. So that curing process is so vastly different from any other type of curing process. It gets hotter. It's faster. Do you think it was an accident? Do you think the first candela fermentation was completely accidental? No, I think somebody said, I want a green cigar, you know, probably around St. Patrick's Day. I want a green cigar and told some told one of the tobacconists, hey, make me a green cigar. And he said, okay, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's the old story of why we fish with worms. Genghis Khan's cook was told he wanted fish that night and fish hadn't been biting flies for a week. So he started digging a grave, found some worms, and <laughs> caught some fish. Um, <laughs> I think necessity being the mother of invention, I think somebody said, I want a green cigar. And some tobacconist said, okay, well, what if we got it really hot and put it together? I don't, I don't think it was accidental. I think, I think it had to be done on purpose. Okay. It just seems, I, I don't know. I'm sure it was somebody who knows more about agriculture than I do that thought, okay, this is how we could do it. But it never would occur to me that that's, that going that going hotter and faster would mean less brown. Uh, to me, that's just hard to wrap my head around. But it, it is. It's hard to think about in those terms. Okay, so this is from Life Hacker. I, okay, I should hate everything about this website. I really should. You hate should. the term life hack, as I recall, right? I hate right? the term hack in general, because hack tends to translate into I don't really want to do the work, so I'm going to try to take a shortcut. So, I really should hate everything about this, but I give credit where credit is due. This guy, Sam Blum, wrote an article on how to smoke a cigar. And he did a good job. And uh, he's talking about the reasons you smoke a cigar. You have a celebration. You want to, you know, you get a big raise. You do whatever your reason. Then he talks briefly about the different types of cigars. Um, I don't know that I would have had to go into that much description. I just said small, medium, and large. Make up your mind and pick a cigar. Well, that's that's the other thing. I think it's funny, though, because he talks about Parejos, which is, you know, straight-sided cigars, right? So that's just kind of a general catch-all term. And then he further, I, I kind of wish he would either have stayed at the high level or done the narrow focus of Corona Churchill Robusto. Although I will say he makes a good point inadvertently here is that those are really the only three you need to know about when you're getting started. Yeah, yeah, you're really you're really gonna. Those are really it. Yeah, you can get into Rothschilds, but Rothschilds and Coronas can be confused with together. That's and interchangeable. And how often do you see a Rothschild outside of the Illusione section? It yeah. just doesn't happen anymore. Okay, now the inspect your cigar part of this, he could have done without this aspect of it. And he said, you want to look out for dull color, spots, mold, tears, holds, soft spots, hardness, ridges, irregular shape. Where's he buying his cigars? You can see, I, I can point out examples of there in here. It happens, um, especially soft spots, um, tears. You typically don't see it when it's still in the box. Usually they split when you cut them. So that one's kind of hard. But spots or blemishes, mold, that happens in some of the best humidors. Well, and the difference in mold and plume, we could do a show on that. And I tell you, it's just not worth the energy to me. I have never cared about plume at all. There is mounting evidence to suggest that plume actually doesn't exist. 
Right. And that everything that people have called plume for however long has always been mold. Has always been mold. And, you know, I'm inclined to think that that may well, actually be the case. So did your time in the mold remediation business when you served your hitch under the mold guy, um, did that give you a new perspective on plume at all? Or did it, or was it just kind of, is it something like me that, I'm, that you well, just don't worry about? So, so the difference in plume, or, you know, I, the idea behind what plume is, um, is sugars from the carbohydrate, which is what all plant leaves are. They're mostly carbohydrate. And that the sugars crystallize and, and come to the surface. That the goodness of the cigar can't be contained in the wrapper. It must spring forth. Basically. <laughs> I love the romance. But here's, but here's the thing that, here's the problem I have with that, is, is that basic science, this goes through a curing process. So what's that, what that's going to do is it's going to change the protein structure of those bonds. It's going to change the the molecular structure of those compounds and change them into something new entirely. So the likelihood that they're going to spontaneously crystallize into this carbohydrate MS, natural MSG kind of thing, I find really hard to wrap my head around versus these are agricultural organic products that are stored in a high humidity environment. You know, <laughs> yeah, it kind of, the, the it argument for fu- plume is kind of weak at best. Yeah. So now I'm not saying it may or may not be. And I will also say this following the fact that I, yes, I used to work in the mold remediation business. Um, I have smoked cigars with mold on them. Unless you have a severe mold allergy or otherwise are immunocompromised or have issues um, fighting off foreign pathogens, you'll probably be fine. Here's the thing. Cheese is created by mold and we eat it every day. Mold is flying around in the air around you right now, no matter where you are, no matter how clean your house is, it's, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. So if some gets a little airborne from being in, set on fire and you happen to breathe it in, you're breathing it in all, anyway. It has yeah. to be such massive quantities for most people. So if it's got a little plume on it, if it happens to be mold, unless it's just really fuzzy and, and growing, you're probably fine. Right. If you've had an aged steak, they probably cut the mold off of it before they cut the steak. Yeah. And uh, so it, it, mold is just a part of life. Yeah. That, that being said, I'm not giving medical advice. If you have any reason to feel adverse to um, consuming mold or want to be, please, you know, consult a physician before smoking a moldy cigar. <laughs> How to cut a cigar. So he does good. He just does two paragraphs. Hey, cut it behind the cap so the paper doesn't splinter. And I think, I think people get a real, get really finicky over the whole cutting thing when it really is quite simple. Put blade to tobacco, do it once, do it quickly and precisely, and be done with it. Well, don't and, fuss over it. Yeah, don't don't overthink it. You can overthink it. And also, how to light it. This is speaking in, of overthinking. Well, now this is interesting because we were sitting around the campfire the other night, and I'd went deer hunting, and we were having deer camp, and we're sitting around the campfire having a few cigars. We just got through having dinner. And my buddy's wife said, well, I'll light your cigar for her, for him. And I had to stop her because she had seen me. I had a st- I put a stick in the fire and got a little fire to That's it. That's usually how I light one when I'm around oh, a campfire yeah. if, I, if I'm well. around a campfire, I'm not using a lighter. I'm definitely going to have a stick that I just get there. And I had pulled it up, and I had toasted my cigar. I would held it the proper distance, and I had drew the flame into it. She grabs it and basically jabs the ember into the end of the cigar and starts trying to light it off of that. Oh, quit, quit doing that. And uh, so I did. I am guilty of having to stop somebody and explain well, to them how to light a cigar properly. I guess more what I was referring to is the people that, oh, it has to be cedar. It has to be a wooden match. It has to be a cedar wooden match. It has to be. No, I, I think people fuss over it. While, fi- while facing east. If all, <laughs> you may it, only light your cigar while facing right. Mecca <laughs> or facing Havana. Uh, that's funny. Um, 
No, I, I, but I do think people get way too fussy over, you know, it's got to be a butane lighter or it can't be a lighter of any kind. And it has to just, you know, if all you've got access to is a BIC or, you know, cardboard matches from a restaurant, not that they give those out anymore, but if that's all you've got, it's, it's better than nothing. And it, and you really have to have a quite refined palate before you'll start to notice the differences. Well, I will tell you, if I'm on the golf course and for whatever reason my backup lighter fails because my primary lighter failed, then my backup lighter fails, and I still want a cigar and I end up with a little pack of the cardboard matches, I'll generally find a piece of paper or a twig or something and light that and then use that to light my cigar rather than using the cardboard match or the Bic. Yeah, uh, cardboard, I, if it's a Bic, I'll do the same thing. I won't do paper unless it, you know, just because it's been bleached and it's been processed to the point that it's probably no better for you than just using the Bic. Um, but lighting a little twig is is great advice. That's a great way to get... Yeah, just, just something, just anything to... To keep from the gas coming in contact, from sucking the gas into your cigar as you're doing it. If you have to MacGyver up a lighter, just just try to do it that way. Never never just put a bit to the end of a cigar. I'll, I just absolutely despise that. Um, his other piece of advice is don't inhale, which at this point, does everybody not? If you get ready to smoke a cigar, is there people that don't know that? Uh, it's funny. I get it, you would think so, but I get asked that question all the time. I mean, anybody who's not a cigar smoker that that finds out that I am—that's one of the questions that inevitably they all ask. Do you inhale? Yeah, they they always ask. Do you inhale? And how, what? How did you smoke Cuban? And I blame Clinton for that. I can I, go with that. It, it, you know, granted, he was talking about weed at the time, but the whole idea of of I did not inhale. As being some sort of, and he was, and being a big cigar smoker, I think it just kind of, for whatever reason, that stuck with a lot of people. I think so. It's, it's probably more of a pop culture thing. 20 years ago, probably, or 40 years ago, probably nobody would ask you if you inhaled cigars or not. Right. Here's one thing. So he mentions um, in the how to light it section. Yeah. Uh, do, do, do. Where did it go? Hold the flame. Yeah, the foot of the cigar is the part you'll actually light. Hold the flame below the foot without touching it and rotate the cigar. I mean, we're not going to light it from the middle? (laughs) Well, but here's the thing. I really wish he had taken the opportunity to do an anatomy of a cigar. Just really briefly, like he did with everything else. Because, you know, previously, you talk about the cap and you talk about, you know, where you cut it. and But there's no indication that that's not also the foot. You know, he never actually says the foot is the is the open end and the head is the capped end. You cut the head, you light the foot. And you have a cannibal stew. Uh. Well, man, but on the whole, I do want to say on the whole, if somebody... Yes, always light it on the whole. Yes, on the whole. On the whole, if somebody had never smoked a cigar and said, I'm going to meet Shane to smoke a cigar and only read this article... I, they get, they make it by. They, they, they get by most of the way. The, that was just the only thing I wish is, you know, because everyone talks about the foot of the cigar, but I, I feel like it's one of those terms that you're kind of guessing until you know for sure. You know, and the last thing he says, use a humidor. Well, now that now that's stepping into somebody that's no longer just having one when, they're, right. when they get a raise and all. But speaking of humidors and all, this was an interesting article from Task and Purpose. And I'll task and purpose six humidors for the aspiring aficionado. Do you aspire to be an aficionado? Should uh, there be some sort of a certification process? As a, as a friend of mine once said, show me a guy who calls himself an aficionado and I'll show you a D-bag. Yeah. And, and I fully agree with that. So, no, I do not aspire to be an aficionado. I, I have been called such, but that's not an aspiration of mine. Yeah, there, there should be a better term. And all, but basically they just pulled six humidors. Is connoisseur better or worse? I could do connoisseur and all. And, um, you know, the, so here's the thing. Wine has like the sommelier. Right. And all. it would be nice if there was a, so, okay, not only is this guy a cigar smoker, this is some guy that would help you on your cigar journey. We need a term for that. We need a. There actually is one, but it's not widely accepted. 
uh, and I'll have to look it up after the show and, and bring it to you. But there is a a master tobacconist or some type of designation that you can get. You see, it needs to be, well, this, this may be one of those things where we have to invent a word. Yeah. It may be time to invent a word, a cigar tutor or something like that. You, yeah. You need something. You need something. You know, when you hear sommelier, that's a dude that knows exactly what he's doing with wine. Right. And uh, and you, you kind of need a term like that for cigars. We found a hole in the market. All right. We'll work on that. So um, the I'm not going to cover all of these humidors. More or less want to talk about the types because that kind of leads into what I want to talk about next. Um, Case Elegance Glass Topped Humidor. Please do not buy a glass top humidor. They don't hold humidity. They can't hold humidity. There's not a good way to do it. And I'll just... If you need to look at your cigars every time you walk by, there's something going on. Yeah. You know, cigars are sensitive to UV light, which that glass is not going to block if it happens to be sitting up on a desk and not in a closet somewhere. Like you said, they they let humidity escape. I'm I'm not a fan either. I, I recognize that they are nice to look at. But I would much rather have a device that's fit for purpose than good to look at in pretty much every case. Which, the Xyfel humidor jar. Now, this is just a jar with a mechanical closure with a seal on it, got a humidistat on the top. This, to me, is the most simple version of the humidor and one of the very best. Which is funny because it's made of glass. Is it made of glass or polyethylene? But anyway... I like I do like the glass the jar humidor. I do think the jar humidor has a valid per, part of life. I, I do too. Um, but I also think it's important to note that even though this is also glass, the glass itself in a glass top humidor is not what's losing the humidity. It's the inability to get a true seal between the wood and the glass. Right. Without, you know, you could use some clear silicone and probably seal it up, but then you got silicone exposed to your cigars. You right. got gas offletting and things like that to exactly. consider. But I mean, if you if I wanted somebody just to the most basic method for humidor, they're going to keep 5 to 8 cigars and smoke one every 2 or 3 months, a jar stick it in the sock drawer is perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's just a easy Easy mode. And then the next one, of course, is a Scott's Leather Cedar Cigar Case. That's, that's getting a little fancier. I'm I'm yeah. not as big a fan of that. I like, you know, and it's funny because you are a leather fan, as evidenced by your Peter James case there. And, and, and I appreciate leather and cigars together. I think that is a match well made. Uh, but I don't think it's always necessary, and I think this is one where it can go a little too far. I don't want to be worried about messing my things up. Well, to me, if I was going to go this road, I would go just like we're talking about with the Zycar cases, yeah. the cigar caddies, with the, the sealable Which is hard the next plastic one down. case. Yeah. yeah, and I love that. And Now, my humidor at home is a leather humidor, courtesy of you and your wife, actually. And, you know, and I love that, but it sits in one place. It doesn't get nicked and scraped, whereas, you know, the jar style is, is more likely to be moved around. And I think you just run and run the risk of, of marring up the surface a little bit. And, you know, I'm going to jump to the bottom, the little cigar humidor refrigerators, mm-hmm. the Audio electric electronic cigar humidor. I will say my wife had one of these and it was outstanding. Yeah. I mean, it held the humidity well. It did everything well. The downside being it's always plugged up. It's always, you know, draining a little power. There's more that can go wrong with it. We eventually got rid of it because I got the big cabinet and she quit smoking flavored cigars. Because the main reason I had her have it is because I... to keep them separate. Yeah, I didn't want her flavored cigars in there with my real cigars and have a cross-contamination issue. Yeah. But But if you you can can even find a, a wine cooler... Mm-hmm. that someone's selling at a yard sale or on Facebook Marketplace or something like that, usually for nothing. And they make great humidors. Right. They seal up good and And tight. that's basically what this is. Because, and the, So it's my rule is always 70-70. 70% humidity, 70 degrees temperature. And um, that's just a general easy rule. Now, you can play with that a little. If you like your cigars a little wetter or a little drier, you can play with that just a little. But by and large, 70-70 is where cigars yeah. need to rely. And most of the time, those those wine coolers will actually be able to maintain a 70. 
I like 65. If I'm in the op- if I have the opportunity to actually temperature control my cigars, which I rarely do, 65 is my preferred. Well, it's 65. But then you go up to 75% humidity. Right. You have or so 72. As you take the temperature down, you're going to have to increase your humidification because it's naturally going to dry as it gets colder. Well, so cold air can hold less moisture than warm air can. And so the same amount of, you know, physical count of water droplets in the air is going to be a higher percentage of a colder temperature than it is. So, yeah, by virtue of the fact that if you're going to reduce it five degrees, you're going to have to increase a couple of percentage points to maintain the same absolute humidity. So Thanksgiving is coming up next week. And uh, do you have a Thanksgiving cigar tradition? I don't. I rarely get to smoke on Thanksgiving. Sometimes I do. I will this year. I'll smoke a cigar in the morning on my way to lunch. Um, but that that'll be it. And it's usually not, it's not a production. It's not an event. Um, it's just kind of, if I get the opportunity, I take it. See, that's my least favorite cigar. My favorite cigar is always cigar by appointment. Mm-hmm. Appointment smoking to me is as good as it gets, you know, and... Thanksgiving, generally what we always do is I don't smoke in the mornings because I'm cooking. And after the meal, before dessert, we usually, you know, I don't like eating dessert right after the meal. Right. I like to have Especially a little. Especially not a meal like Thanksgiving. Yeah, I like to have a, a couple of hours. Yeah. And, uh, and usually. That's the, how my in-laws are. Yeah, usually my sister-in-law and my wife and all of them go and they go for a walk to walk off some of the turkey and all that stuff. And that's usually when me and the guys get to sneak out on the back porch. Yeah. And really enjoy that post-Thanksgiving cigar. So, if someone is having an after-turkey cigar, what do you recommend? What's your What would you recommend for the after-turkey cigar? Whatever you like. <laughs> no, no, no. Hi, I'm Trey, and I'd like to commit to nothing today. <laughs> Thanksgiving is... Thanksgiving is a time when a lot of people are under stress of, you know, having to keep you know, uh, to get everything cooked and to get the house clean and stuff like that. And other people have no stress whatsoever other than the fact that they just don't like their family. And then, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts to Thanksgiving for the majority of people. So I think if you are going to set an appointment for yourself to have a cigar on the day, Make sure it's something you enjoy. Make sure it's something that you're going to actually enjoy the time that you took to kind of relax well, and set. And I, and I guess I misrepresented the question. I presented the question to you improperly. I'm thinking strictly palate. I'm thinking you've had turkey, you've had dressing, you've had gravy. You've had a lot of heavy, rich foods. What kind of cigar do you go for after that heavy, rich food? I, you know, I tend to smoke heavy, rich, flavorful cigars, so I'm still going to go that route. See, I'm always going to go a little lighter. I'm always, after that meal, after that heavier meal, you know, this year I know I'll reach for an Africa. Well, and I was actually going to say, you know, Dominican cigars, specifically those cigars from La Aurora, like the, the ADN and the Africa, have such a savory flavor to them. It's such, you know, that, that salty cured meat flavor that, and I think, I mean, I think that's a great, you know, if you've already got that flavor on your palate, why not just turn it up to 11? Yeah, I think I think that's it. I think you reach for something Dominican. I don't reach for something Nicaraguan. I think you reach for something a little lighter than you would normally smoke. And all, because you don't want to blow your palate out before the apple pie and ice cream comes out. Exactly. And also, I definitely would go into that. And also, last thing I want to talk about real quick. It's going to be a long one this week. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about this, but I do need to touch this. Um, Black Friday cigar deals. Mm-hmm. Holtz is running a heck of a sale. Holtz cigars or Holtz.com, H-O-L-T-S. I was I perused about eight of these websites today getting ready for the show um, and just seeing who had any Black Friday things going on. 
Holtz really knocked it out of the park, man. Ashton VSG Robusto for 11 and a quarter a stick. That's a really good price. Oh, yeah. Diaz Glorious, $5.99 a stick. Yeah, the Enclave by AJ Fernandez, one of my favorites, $5.99 a stick. $4.74 for the Robusto. Yeah, they really, I mean, even the number one cigar of the year, the Perez Carrillo, they have it marked down significantly. Where you could, or if you haven't had a chance to get one of those since they came out as number one cigar of the year, yeah, eight forty eight a stick. Yeah, eight forty eight a stick. That's just a great deal. So they're they're really knocking out the park. But have you ever seen? I've never seen a brick and mortar have a Black Friday sale. I haven't either. Is it because so many husbands drop their wives off and come to the cigar shop anyway while they shop? Probably. I, I think that's probably part of it. I think their their sales are going to do fine without it. I also think that there aren't going to be a whole lot of people that buy cigars as a gift a month in advance. And so I think it's, it doesn't really benefit because even if they did offer a sale, if you're buying it for, for a cigar, human, uh, cigar smoker and you're not a cigar smoker, they're going to go off before you get a chance to give them to them. And if you are a cigar smoker, even if you have the ability to keep them humidified for that month, why not just wait until closer to time? I do need to touch one of their Black Friday deals that I think everybody should get. This is a great deal. La Flor Dominicana Chisel Sampler. We talked about samplers last week. Yeah. $7.99 a cigar. So they give you a so Lajero chisel. Bucks. Yeah, a Lajero chisel, a double Lajero chisel, Coronado chisel, Cameroon ch- cabinet chisel. I've never had a Cameroon cabinet chisel. No, I haven't either. But that's, if you really want to whip it out at Thanksgiving and impress... Well, whip out a cigar at Thanksgiving and impress everybody. That little... That might be $39.99 well well spent. spent. That's just a... Now, that's... Now, the LFD, that's a cigar smoker's cigar. Be sure you're bringing that out amongst people that smoke cigars. Don't give one to Uncle Fred, who only smokes one once a year with you at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Right. But that's a heck of a deal. Unless you don't want him to come back next year. Yeah. And all that's a heck of a deal, but all right, Trey. How do they get a hold of us? Let's wrap it up. You can reach us uh, via email at info at cigarcast.com, uh, facebook.com slash the cigarcast, and Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. And the Goldie's a seven, yeah, absolutely. I almost forgot to rate my Goldie. Yeah. can you imagine the backlash we would have had? That would have been bad. The Goldie's a seven, it's it, perfect. It's absolutely, I could not improve a thing I upon am, this I cigar. So I didn't know this was the cigar I needed today, but oh my gosh, this is good. Yeah, I don't I don't feel the need to have anything else. This is just perfect. So the the Goldie is a seven. All right. So have a cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.